So we went from having millions of dollars to wondering where Friday's groceries were coming from. It was humbling. You know, the Lord was doing a work on me. And he said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to keep doing it. Welcome to another episode of Inspire Noya, where today our job is to love, leave, serve, and inspire. Today I have a special guest at Kobo. He is the president of the Bottle Development. He has developed over $4.6 billion. He's a father of two, husband of Becky, and most important that I love about his story, he's a cancer survivor. Ed, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, uh, Elliot. Always great to be with you. So, Ed, I want to, I love your story. It intrigues me because you're always facing, you know, how, how we would say obstacles, and then you end up overcoming it. Um, I just want to get a quick background when we can go when you started when you was young, how you started in real estate with your landlord and your mom, and just say the story from then. Sure. So, um, you know, I, um, uh, my mom uh, had an affair. Uh, actually, a guy sought her out and had an affair with her. He had a family. And um, this went on for several years. And then I came along. And um, after I was about six years old, uh, he uh, kind of disappeared from our life. Um, and uh, after he had promised to sort of rescue, you know, get a divorce and take my mom and I under his wing, so to speak. So um, when he left, it broke my mother's heart and she turned to alcohol first and then to drugs. And um, so as a little guy, you know, some of my earliest memories of real estate, you know, six, seven years old, the landlord would come to the house to collect the rent. And, you know, as a little kid, you have a defense mechanism. So, you know, I didn't even understand everything that was going on. So I would just tell people my mom was sick. And, um, but I believe that the landlord was, a was probably a Christian, you know, he's a very gentle guy and he took me under his wings and I would do little jobs and he'd pay me so I could pay him. Right. It was kind of silly, yeah. but it was just grace and mercy in action. And, um, but one of the things that he taught me was he would buy these old Victorian homes and, and, uh, the hood in Pittsburgh, and he would break them up into one and two room apartments. And we, we lived in one of those. And, uh, but he would show me, he'd pay, you know, three, four, $5,000 for a building. And then, you know, he'd get, you know, $50 rent from us and $70 from this person and 80 here, you know, and show me the math. And, uh, and then show me, you know, at the end of the month, there's this much cash flow left. So as a little boy, six, seven years old, I was learning math of real estate, right? And just yeah. how it all works. And so that was sort of uh, embedded in me from, from a very early age. How, how long? How long does this you process know, go on with that, the guy? That actually went on for uh, several years until um, really... Uh, from six until 12, we moved a, a little, we moved out of that apartment when, when I was about 12 years old. Got you. And then, long time. so who was that? Who was that in high school? Who was high school? High yeah. school? Yeah. yeah. High school, middle school. Yeah. How was it growing up? Yeah. You know, I had a single mom and, um, you know, at the time, you know, having a divorced parent was really unusual, you know? Yeah. So I was always a little, you know, a little bit, I felt as an outcast, but I wasn't, I was in all the I was with all the cool kids, you know, I w and I wasn't necessarily the cool kid, but, you know, I was athletic enough to be on sports teams. You had, 
you know, academic and I wasn't a scholar or anything, but I was academic enough to hold my own and just sort of, I moved through all the different cliques in middle school and high school. But the big thing in, um, in 10th grade, the military recruiters came and, um, they wanted to, you know, the Vietnam war was going on. So they wanted to get recruits to commit, to go into all the different military branches would present. So I, um, uh, listened to the pitch of the army and, um, I was a pretty good shot because the landlord had a bunch of rats in this place where we lived. And so he would give me a dollar a rat. I would kill with a little pelican. This is in the 10th grade. Yeah. So I figured, um, I can, I can be a, a shooter. I can be a sniper in the military. So after the presentation, I said, I'll go, you know, to the recruiting station and I'll sign up to go at high school graduation. They want you to graduate high school, even though I was in 10th grade. So, um, uh, I went to the recruiting station in downtown Pittsburgh and, um, you know, I actually went to the wrong building. I saw a guy in a military uniform and figured that must be the place, but it wasn't, it was, uh, actually a little military intelligence hit outpost. And so this, uh, Colonel kind of asked me to take some tests and long story short, went back several weeks and he said, look, um, I think um, I want to present you with an opportunity to um, look at something different than being in the just the regular army and being in infantry. And uh, you could be a counterintelligence agent. And I had no idea what that was. You know, 10th grade, 1973. Uh, uh, yeah. And he said, well, have you ever seen that? a James Bond movie? And I said, yeah. And he goes, it's kind of like spying. And I said, no, that sounds fun. He goes, I guarantee it's better than being in the infantry. So um, I entered into a, an agreement with the military. Uh, it's a contract that I would go in at high school graduation. And after basic training, they would take me through the spy school and I would become a counterintelligence agent. So and the army, uh, when I graduated, um, two years later, the Vietnam War had just ended. So thankfully that was gone and been no by no, no war. So I ended up. How many years you served? Yeah, four. How was it? No, it's fantastic. It was one of the best things I ever did in my life. You know, it helped me grow up, helped me look at being on a team. It helped me learn skills. It lo- helped me learn manhood. It helped me learn integrity and leadership. Fantastic. Discipline. Discipline. I, I learned a ton being in the military. And then how did you get involved with real estate? Well, uh, after four years, um, my mom was, uh, was still battling some of her issues. Mm-hmm. And I had to decide to re-enlist or to, um, I could, I had an appointment to go to West Point, to the military academy. But the challenge there is, you know, for your first couple of years, you can't really, um, uh, you're really not leaving post much. And so I wasn't going to be able to uh, take care of my mom. So I decided to get out and go to university, use my veterans benefit to go to university, take care of my mom. And so, um, uh, I, I uh, got out, enrolled in university, and um, I got a job with the colonel that I served with. He bought a little real estate company. Okay. And um, so he said, get your real estate license. I got my real estate license. And he said, call everybody you know and um, tell them you, you can list their house or you can sell them a house. And I did that. And after a week, I exhausted all my contacts. And it was, a, it was <laughs> I made a few referrals. Nobody wants to buy a property. You know, at the time I was 21 years old, you know, and I knew nothing. I had my real estate license, but I didn't know anything about real yeah. estate. And so after a quarter of not making any money and, you know, it was a disaster, I sat down with the colonel and um, 
I said, Hey, Colonel, next semester, I'm going to go, I'm going to work full time. And I got this great, uh, I'm going to go to school full time. And I got this great bartending job at night. So, um, I'll be, uh, idioso, this real estate business. <laughs> and, uh, he yelled and screamed at me that, you know, I'm not using anything that I, I learned in the military and that, um, uh, I should look at my veterans benefits as a resource. Um, and so he said, you can buy up to a four unit apartment building with no money down. And I, he, he showed me how to do that. So I bought a little four unit apartment building that was vacant. Uh, I bought it with no money down. I didn't have any money to put down. It literally yeah. was about $253. I put it on a credit card. Those were my costs. So now I own a vacant building. So I got my credit card out and I got some buddies that are handy and we fixed this place up and rented it. And at least very quickly, it was right next to Fort Carson military base. So at least up fast. And I went back to the Colonel and I said, Colonel, what should I do now? He goes, you're still broke, right? I said, yes, I am, sir. He said, you need to sell it. So you get a grub steak. So in 19, early 1980, I sold it. Uh, I owned it for about less than 120 days. And I made thirty-seven thousand five hundred dollars in three and a half, four months. That's it. The in in nineteen eighty, and it was just a lot wow. of money. In fact, I took the check and I went to my uh, business professor at the University of Colorado, and I said, "Look at how much money I just made on that." He couldn't believe it. He was making a little over eighteen thousand dollars a year as a professor in business school, and he said, "That's insane. I can't believe it." And he said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to keep doing it. So I actually did that 81 more times over the next two years. And that 81 grew into how much? Oh. Well, it grew into uh, a lot. What, what I decided after acquiring all that property was, you know, and, and these weren't, you know, beautiful properties. These were mostly, you know, tough neighborhoods and, and rough uh, yeah. properties, no money down. Um, but what I decided to do was to, um, at the time, prime rate was 21. And I decided that I'm going to get out of the real estate business and I'm going to get into the note business, the financing business. So if you were in one of the homes that I owned, I would come to you and say, Elliot, you know, why don't you buy this home? And you might say, hey, I can't. My credit's bad. I get this. I get that. I don't have a, I don't have a 10 percent down payment. I said, Elliot, give me a thousand dollars down and, um, you know, five hundred dollars a month you know, over the next five years. And I would just wrap that mortgage, right? And create okay. my own terms. And then you owe me a balloon payment in five years or three years or two years, right? You can make up the terms because yeah. I was financing it. And so I thought I would just do that and end up foreclosing on a lot of these properties. But the interest rates came down, but I created about three, three plus million dollars worth of paper at 22%. So I was now 22, 23 years old and I had $600,000 of income before I got out of bed in the morning. And so wow. it, it just worked out fantastic. Now, while you're doing this, mm -hmm. where, where's mom? Like, like she's what, right what's, there. This all she's was right. happening okay. in Colorado okay. Springs, which was my last duty station in the army. And I brought, um, she, she came out there and um, we lived together for a long time. Okay, so you're you're right now taking care of mom. She's seeing the difference. Yeah. Um, and then what? After you're taking care of mom, you're learning all this real estate. One of my favorite stories: you make a whole bunch of money and you end up losing it. Yes. What happened? So got married and uh, we started into the shopping center business, the apartment business, and you know things took off. We made 
millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars, new cars, new house, bump, 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 you know, everything's going. And I had become a Christian. Uh, I had prayed to receive Christ, but I didn't really understand abiding and hearing from God, you know, but, you know, I was checking the boxes and went to church and we raised our girls in church, but I didn't really have that intimate relationship with Christ that I do today. And so, you know, more, 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 you know, so, um, and we were good savers, you know, so it wasn't like we were totally out there on the edge, but, you know, I wasn't paying attention to the, the wisdom of the, of the Lord, our father, right. Our heavenly father. And so, what happened was there was a 1986 President Reagan signed in a tax regis, a new tax law, yeah, and it changed real estate and it created a collapse in real estate. And so, what well, what what did he sign? It was a Tax Reform Act of 1986, and so that changed the way that uh, real estate syndications work and taxation, and it created a, a and, and at the same time, the SNL crisis hit. So you had two things coming together. You know, savings and loan were lending money like crazy. They were growing exponentially with virtually no regulations. So they were making a lot of bad loans. All that came together and there was a national crisis of real estate. So real estate values plummeted 70, 80, 90% some areas. Wow. Overnight, like away or? Yeah, it was, it was a little more than overnight. It took a year or two to sort of wind down and, and uh, it, took, it took a seven-year hiatus. The whole thing took about seven years to clear out. But in the middle of that, I had a, a big shopping center that we had signed a loan on for $106 million, personal guarantee. Now, it was a shopping center and everything, you know, we paid our mortgage. We weren't in default. But the problem was the government took over the SNLs and they were selling two shopping centers across the street. My cost of my center was about $100 a foot. These other centers, they were being sold for $15 a square foot. So by appraisal methodology, I was upside down. So the government then, who took over the, the bank that I had, they then declared the loan in default. And so it took, um, took us five years. We didn't, now, how much was you, you owed 106 million? 106 million, yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we started praying about it and, um, you know, we didn't want to file bankruptcy and there's nothing wrong with bankruptcy. It's the law of the land. But the Lord told us, told Becky and I, no, just try to pay everybody off. So I went to the government who controlled the bank and I said, look, you know, if you work with me, you know, I'll, uh, you know, I'll try to pay this off. And miracle after miracle, it took five years and we ended up getting everybody paid off and everybody whole and it, it ended up working out. Then after this comes an interesting story because a guy in Wall Street comes, he told me you had a one page plan. Well, it 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 uh it really what happened is um, right after that, you know, Becky said, uh, "What are you going to do for a career?" <laughs> and I said, <laughs> "You know, I'm going to be a Subway franchisee because we owned lots of shopping centers, and at the time, you know, if you owned a Subway, you could make sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. And I had lots of friends that owned six, eight, ten, twelve of them, and you know, they play golf all the time, right? They put in a manager, and you know, they make seven hundred thousand or a million a year." doing nothing. And, um, and I looked at it and said, how refreshing would that be if Elliot came in and he was mad at his $5 foot long? I just give him his money back, right? No, yeah, yeah. no lawyers, no, no tough negotiation, no lawsuits. Just I wanted to simplify my life. So for months, I tried to become a Subway franchisee, which, you know, I had just done over almost $400 million worth of real estate deals. Um, and I couldn't do a little $100,000 subway. The Lord wouldn't let it happen. 
And what changed was um, a buddy of mine called me and he was trying to build a shopping center in Tucson. And it was his first one and he had a great site. He had it all leased up and but he didn't know how to get it financed. And he called me, he goes, hey, will you help me get this thing financed? And I said, no, I'm not in the real estate business. I, I want to be a subway guy. And he, he said, God. you're an idiot. And he hung up on me. And then he <laughs> called me the next day. And he said, come on, man, help me out. And at that moment, the Lord told me how to do it, how to put it all together. And I did it, introduced to him. And I got a... And you think the Lord told you, like, what, what, what exactly happened that moment when he so gave you this the plan? The Lord just told me in that nanosecond, just, hey, call this guy and tell him you want him to finance this project, and he will. And I did. And that guy wasn't even in finance, which was weird. I uh, happened to be a, a general contractor. And I called him, and he said, yeah, we'll, we'll put up all the money if we get to build it. And so I got the money from my friend. He got it. I got a piece of the deal and it sold and I, you know, made several hundred thousand dollars. So I was sort of back in it. But during all that, my wife had said, hey, would you promise me that going forward, you wouldn't guarantee loans? Because I don't want to go through that kind of five years again, you know. How was that stress when you guarantee loans? You own so, so much debt. Like what's going on? And you can't pay. And, you know, we went all the money we had. We had to, you know, basically pay off bills and pay off loans. So we went from having millions of dollars to having, you know, wondering where Friday's groceries were coming from, right? Well, wow. uh, where's our mortgage payment? I mean, we had nice cars, we sold them, we went down to one car, it was a 15 year old four door Cadillac, one of those big old gunboats, you know? Yeah. So I went from having, you know, the newest Mercedes to a 15 year old Cadillac, you know? Um, it was it was humbling, you know. The Lord was doing a work on me, you know, and part of it was He was building my character for the future. Now, when you say character, what what what, what was your character like before? You know, I think it was a little cavalier, and it was more about me and and you know ego and moving fast and you know Italian suits and nice clothes and just you know all, all the stuff of the world, right? And uh, and I think the Lord said. You can go that route or you can focus on me. Um, and so slowly, and this is an important point. I, at that point, then I got a mentor, a okay. Christian mentor. The fellow is about 15 years older than me and really stepped into helping me grow in maturity with, uh, with my walk with the Lord. And that was a big, big part of it. Gotcha. Now, the next, you come out, you're doing real estate. How do you end up in Tampa and with the Barlow development? You know, I had a, a beautiful opportunity to uh, meet Eddie DeBarlow, who's, who's my brother. He has, we have the same father, different mothers. And um, uh, we met here in Tampa, uh, right down the street at, at Shula's. And, um, you know, it was just sort of, um, I had known about him my whole now, life. You know about him your whole life, yeah. right? You meet him for the first yeah, time? Yeah, first time face to face. How was it? How was the feeling? It was exciting. You know, I, I, I always wanted to have a brother and I wanted to have a big family. And, you know, I had a single mom. But so I was, I was very excited. I think he was very excited. And, um, you know, we had a beautiful meeting, a first meeting. And uh, he, he had his, uh, two of his daughters and his wife. And, and it was a fantastic. And I think we both went into it with no expectations, more, gotcha. more of like, okay, I'll meet this fella. And, you know, now he's legendary, you know, he won five Super Bowls and, you know, he, you know, large, largest shopping center owner in the world. And, you know, he, he's, you know, uh, a legend and a hall of fame for the national football league and 
you know, and, and plus he's just a wonderful, they're a wonderful family. They're very giving. They're very generous. They're really, very philanthropic. And uh, both Eddie and Candy and their daughters and their husbands, you know, they just, they're, they care about people and they care about the communities they live in. And they're um, very, very charitable and, and wow. wonderful. So. So how was that first meeting? You walk into the restaurant. Walk in and I was, guys sit I was down. scared to death. I saw him uh, sitting there and I was scared to death. Went up to him and introduced myself and, you know, we hugged and just sort of sat there and just talked and just, you know, it was a little awkward because, you know, if you think about it, you know, neither one of us had anything to do with it, right? My, yeah. our father and my mom, you know, had a situation. It was what it was, right? No, no, no tell me something. Did Eddie know about you all these years? No, he never knew. I mean, he knew before the meeting because we had, I had reached out to him and contacted, but, but gotcha. for, for, you know, our whole lives, he, he didn't. So he never knew nothing. No. First time yeah, first he knows time about face it. Face. So we have this beautiful face-to-face -face meeting. And then I was going down from Tampa to my Miami office and um, he and, and his wife and girl said, hey, could you stay another day? I mean, I said, of course, right? This is historic in my life, you know? So yeah. stayed, we had another dinner. They invited a bunch of friends. We had a beautiful evening. And uh, then we just kept meeting and sort of brought my my wife and my two daughters. We got to meet and then we just spent time together. And, you know, one thing over the next couple of years led to another. And, um, you know, he loves sports and obviously he's very good at it with five Super Bowl rings. And, um, you know, I like real estate. So we just thought, hey, maybe this is something that we could do to uh, continue what our father started. And so we've been very, very, very fortunate. You know, uh, we've been blessed. The uh, projects have worked out well and, you know, we've all done well. And and the family's been very, very kind to me, very generous to me. And that's been a huge blessing. So how is it now, family reunion? You know, it's fun. There's, it's normal. It's, it's, it's pretty darn normal. And uh, I, I, you know, I talked to him the day before yesterday and, you know, I get off the phone and I just pinch myself like, I can't believe, you know, if you think about it, God put together a family that was sort of torn apart through sin, right? Yeah. And, um, and here, you know, God can reconstruct things and make them new, right? Wow. And the whole thing is just, I pinch my, I literally get off the phone like, I can't believe I just got off the phone with my brother, Eddie DeBartolo and how generous and kind he is and loving and it's it's mind blowing. Only God can do those things, right? So you start the Barlo, building all these big development, and then you have one of the most serious issues in your life. Yeah, cancer. Yeah. What happened? The doctor gives you the news. Yeah. So you know, um, uh, Eddie is uh, very engaged with the the Cleveland Clinic, and as soon as we found out I had a problem, he he you know. Uh, had had me rushed into Cleveland Clinic and, you know, bad news, late stage cancer, the bladder, and it looked really bleak. And, you know, I said, okay, 12 weeks of chemo and then, you know, a month to sort of rest and then we're going to take your bladder out. Hope you survive. It wasn't very optimistic. Not the best news a doctor can yeah. give someone. And so, um, you know, I pressed into the father and said, hey, you know, your will be done, right? It's like the the Bible story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Where they're, the king is throwing them into the fire and the king says, make it seven times hotter. And, mm. and the boys say to the king, look, you know, you can throw us in the fire, but our God is able to save us from the fire. Okay. But they go on and they say, even if, even if he doesn't, he's still God, he's still sovereign. 
And so that was sort of my story, right? Going through it. I like, hey, God is uh, able to cure it. But even if he chooses not to, right? He's still God. He's still sovereign. I'm going to heaven, you know, not necessarily. I'd like to hang around a little bit more to see my wife and kids longer, but, and uh, friends and loved ones, but, you know, even if. And so um, he chose to to heal it. What's going on in your mind, though, Ed? Like, what's going on? Like, when, hey, you have cancer, it's late stage, we're getting in the bladder. I understand even if he's good because now you're already expecting death, but what's going on in the mind? Like, do you put everything to the side? Hey, I'm not going to work no more. Like, what's going on? What was going on in your head? Just really what's going on was, you know, the beauty about abiding and and, uh, you've been through the teaching of abiding hearing from God is the beauty when you're walking with the father is he, he, he promises to give you an abundant life. Okay. And that's not stuff, right? That's not materialism. It's an abundance of peace, love, joy, and hope. So I really got to look at that live with a health issue that was pretty catastrophic. And and through the middle of that, he gave me peace, love, joy, and hope. And so I was looking at no matter what, even if, right? Even if I'm cured, great, peace, love, joy, and hope. Even if that's not going to work out, peace, love, joy, and hope. And so it was super super powerful and uh time in my life and grew closer to the lord and just you know it's weird but i thank him for cancer like wow you just took me through another level over that year and a half or so at a deeper level with him uh i probably wouldn't have gotten there on my own what was your experience what do you get out of it what do you learn the most besides that i learned the most is that you know he's in control he's sovereign and um can i really say with confidence, even if, right? Um, and and can I walk through the good and the bad uh, with peace, love, joy, and hope? Because I'm pressing into him in a quiet time where I'm abiding, hearing from him, journaling in the morning, and just spending time hanging out with the Father. How long have you been journaling? 20 years. 20 years, okay. Um, then what happens how, how, when the good news comes? This is, this is an amazing thing. Tell, yeah. tell us the good news. So the good news is, you know, the people. literally, um, you know, the, the chemo didn't work out. So we, right when we stopped that, then the, the surgeons wanted to. Is that when the even if came? The chemo's not working? Chemo's even not if. Working. Yeah, we're like, even if. But then um, a friend of ours introduced us to an alternative doctor outside of Tampa here. And um, we went to see him, Becky and I, and uh, we started that. So I went there for eight months. And just started these uh, natural treatments. And um, ultimately, eight months later, I literally um, passed the tumor, uh, the bladder out, and uh, through the, you know, uh, and, and it was just a miracle, right? It would hurt like heck yeah. passing it, but it was like a giant stone. But it took, it lasted five hours. It was just kept coming out. And I thought I was going to bleed to death, you know? Um, really? But it was, you know, and I'm taking pictures of it, sending it to the doctors, and they're like, we don't know what's going on. You know, if you pass out, let us know. <laughs> like, and then the, the holistic doctor finally got back to me. He goes, oh, you're passing the tumor. Don't worry about it. This is good news. You're, gonna, you're, you're healed. And so that's what happened. God just said, hey, I'm going to take that tumor and you're going to pass it through. You go, do you get a checkup to see if it's gone? So then we go back and um, the, the alternative doctor says, okay, let's, let's double check. So he sends me to the cancer clinic and they go inside and uh, and they look around and it was a, they're like we've never seen anything like this we've never seen or even heard of somebody just passing a tumor out um we've never heard of it and i said well with all things are possible with god right we've been praying we've got an army you were one yeah. of our prayer warriors 
we've got an army of people praying and God just chose to, to do it this way. Mm. If you was to go back, what would you tell your 20 year old Ed? Mm. You know, I would say, um, go a little slower, right? Slow down. You and I've had that conversation. Yeah. Enjoy yeah, it. Enjoy down, it. Enjoy it. Um, you know, I would probably, I jumped right in, um, and I started learning by doing, you know, uh, but as you and I've talked about, you know, um, there's some great educational classes, you know, real estate's a math business. So, you know, I've, I'm a master of the math now, but, you know, it took me a few years to get there. Yeah. So I tell young people, hey, really make sure if you're getting into real estate, you understand the math, get that education. Um, you know, uh, there's some great university programs like you and I've talked about with MIT, yeah. you know, get, get that education so that you're prepared. And how about in life in general? Like we, like, like what, what would you recommend is sometimes people, especially our age younger, we feel like we're hitting the wall. Yeah. Like we can't pass through that wall. And I, I, I kind of figure everybody's successful that I know they are like you or other people are successful. You guys also per perseverance was key. So well, perseverance, but also, you know, in, in John 15, um, the father says, look, um, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I look back at through my life um, of many decades now, and I can see the times when I felt like I couldn't get a deal done, I wasn't progressing, are all times that I wasn't abiding. I wasn't walking with the father. I wasn't hearing from the father. And so... He says that if you spend time with me, you can hear my voice. I'll, I'll lead you. You know, John 16, 13 says that Jesus says that, hey, I'm leaving you with the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth and will show you of things to come. And so, you know, the, the greatest gift I could give anybody is say, hey, learn how to abide, learn how to hear from God. Um, and you can give them the links on how we do that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and learn how to do that. And so that you can find your perfect purpose, whether it's real estate, medicine, technology, whatever your passion is, right. He wants you to be equipped in your passion and, um, and he'll show you how to do that. And he'll show you how to succeed in that. Gotcha. Now, Ed, what do you want to be known for your legacy? Well, let me tell you. So we teach people, you know, why, what, why you got to settle for yourself. Why is Elliot here on earth? Right. So for Ed, my why is to glorify my heavenly father and okay. to bring heaven on earth. So how I try to do that is in most conversations, you know, I try to introduce the father, you know, what he's doing in my life and glorify him. And heaven on earth looks like teaching people how to abide, how to hear from him. Because gotcha. it creates such a life change in their personhood that it then becomes a lifestyle for them. It changes their family, changes their parenting, changes their marriage. Um, it begins to change their church, their community. And, uh, and I think we'll see it. Uh, I think there'll be a revival in the nation through it. Just impacting people. Changing people's lives. How about your kids? What do you want them to know you as? Same thing. Just, hey, God lived, uh, dad lived it out. He was purposeful. He was following after the father. And that's as good as it gets. Well, guys, thank you again for this episode and podcast. My guest was at Kobo. Ed, thank you so much again for Thanks, joining brother. us. Love you. Love you so much. God bless you guys.